Welcome to Equosity, the podcast about all things equine, with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kurland. I'm the author of The Click That Teaches, a step-by-step guide in pictures, and many other books and DVDs on clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. And today we are joined by someone who I've wanted to have as a guest really since we started these podcasts, and that's Michelle Pouillot. And Michelle, I know many of you know her through the Clicker Expo. She's been on the faculty now for many, many years, and her presentations are always one of my must-see presentations. I always learn when I go to Michelle's talks, and she's for the dog trainers, I think, the, what they find of particular interest is, Michelle, your work with the platform training, which is so creative, and then the freestyle. But of course, most people also know you through the work that you did with guide dogs for bringing clicker training into the training of guide dogs. And we first really cross paths met. It's got to be, well, let's see, Panda is now... 19 so oh uh, wow yeah (laughs) 19 years ago because I contacted you to ask about how you train traffic checks that's right that was the first contact that's right yes yes so so 19 years ago was our our first connection and I've been learning from you ever since so welcome 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 I am happy to be here thank you for having me yes there are several topics that I know I want to cover. And Dominique, I'm sure you have. Yes, yes. I, because I, it's we, a big treat for me as well. Yes. I've also been waiting to have Michelle on the podcast for a long, long time. So I'm sure we'll have many things to talk about. And neither one of us have consulted to see whether our lists are the same or different. So this should be really interesting. So we'll, we, can, we can put out... Sort of like Christmas, we can each we can open each open uh, one package, and then and then it's the other person's turn. Okay. <laughs> I'll throw out in general, um, Michelle, some of the things that I hope we talk about, and then you can pick and choose, or say, "No, I want Dominique's list." Um, <laughs> I I thought it would be particularly of interest would be to talk a little bit about the platform training because. I certainly use mats extensively with the horses, but the way that you use platforms is different, uh, again, which is part of the fun. And I've certainly, I've used it very directly with the goats and love the way in which the platforms can be used for teaching positioning and, and many other things. And then, so that's one thing on my list. Another thing that I think would be of particular interest coming out of the freestyle work was this is the whole, how do you not just link one behavior with another, but how do you build big units of behavior, which is, of course, what freestyle is all about. It's one thing to have a a small chain of two or three behaviors and something and then quite another again to have something that lasts for minutes you know, what is freestyle, three, five minutes. And then the thing that I really would like to talk about, because right now we are in such challenging times 
with this collision of the coronavirus pan pandemic and this terrible, terrible murder uh, of George Floyd with, from the, with the police officer. And there's now what we really need to be looking at is how do we start to change systems? What are some of the conversations that we need to be having that can really help to shift very deeply entrenched institutions? And that's something that you can really speak to because you, you through your work, you transformed a deeply entrenched system within the guide dogs from the traditional way of training the dogs to the clicker training. I think there are probably things to be learned from that that would be very relevant to the current conversation. So we can either get very political or we can head first into training uh, or we can throw all three into the mix. Or I can give you my list. Too. Or Dominique can give you her list. Okay. Well, that sounds so fine. Some of, it, <laughs> some of some of my list it crosses over your list, but um, well, first of all, I have to say I just love freestyle, um, and and I've looked at many, if not all, of your uh, performances. I've taken your freestyle online course. I'm a big fan of freestyle. And I make a parallel with what we call liberty uh, with horses. And I think in a way, freestyle is the future of horses liberty, I think. Um, and I would like, because I know you've worked a lot with horses as well, and that you have been able to compare how dogs and horses learn. And I'd like to know if you've ever tried freestyle with horses and how it went. And um, I use a lot of dog material. I read a lot of dog material, not only for my dogs, but for my horses as well. And of course, we have to adapt this material. And I'd like to hear you on that. How can we use dog instructions and adapt it to our horses? And certainly platforms um, is of interest to me as well. I have your DVD on platform. And again, I'd like to see how can we use the platforms with the horses to teach various positions the way you do with horses and other uh, useful behaviors that you teach with the platform. So that would be my list. This is going to be a long conversation. <laughs> yes, do we have two days? <laughs> so uh, obviously, because both of you have platforms on your list, why don't we kind of start with that? So the, the really cool thing that is different from the convenient use of a mat, which, you know, that's the unfortunate part is when you move from a mat to a platform, there's usually an inconvenience involved with the physical piece of equipment that you're using, meaning a mat, you can fold it up, roll it up. It's a little more easy to move around. But the difference between using a mat and a platform, I'm guessing, Alex, you've already experienced it now that you've got a smaller animal you're using, so it's convenient to use raised platforms. When I say raised, when an animal is trained on a raised platform, which might have to be higher than what I'm about to say, 
when you first introduce it. But once they get the concept of their whole body is supposed to be on this platform, it can be as low as just like two, three, four inches. The difference that it, between the mat and a raised platform of let's say two or three inches is that it delineates the space so clearly to the learner. So if a foot is off, they're aware of it. A dog, let's say in a down position, is going to know if a part of their body is off of the platform. And we all certainly can envision a dog laying on a mat that's trained really well to go lay on his mat, but a part of the body is off of the mat. So it limits how precise we can teach the dog to do a specific behavior. So that's really, that, that's really why I went to the platforms with the goats because goats could care less, you know, about surfaces, really. They're, they're so easy to train to go up on things because that's what goats do. And I thought if I put um, a mat on the ground that they, they wouldn't even notice you know, they, and they wouldn't really care if they were, you know, standing on it, off it, whatever. But by having the raised platform, they were exactly what you're saying. They were aware that they were on something. It, it, it's, it, it's a dynamic difference between one versus yes, the other. Yes, totally, yeah. totally. And with the horses, they're more surface aware. So they are initially much more aware of, yes, we're standing on a mat, I have my foot on a mat, than the goats ever would have been. So that point of the precision that you get, and depending upon the individual, do you need the raised platform for them to be aware that they are on something? And the answer is often yes, you do. Yes. Uh, So, you know, I've done, uh, all my dogs are trained to go lay on a mat, you know, as a part of a place to just chill for a moment. But I'm never going to get much precision in that space when I do that versus uh, using something that's raised and has a clear delineation of the space. So the difficult part with the horses, and I almost discount my experience with horses with platforms because I'm using my miniature horses mostly. And that makes it more practical to use raised platforms because I don't need something gigantic. So we're always dealing with, when we have a full-size horse, we're dealing with the practicality of having something like a raised platform. Even though it's going to be really beneficial, I could see it being less used, meaning you have a specific thing. You want to be able to send that horse at liberty across the arena to a specific spot and using a large raised platform, which when the, once they're trained, it doesn't have to be that high, but you're still talking of cumbersome piece of equipment to use for a 1,200-pound animal to get on. But you might have a specific goal like that that you go, wow, the platform is going to be so good to teach it. It's worth the inconvenience of having the raised platform for that particular task. Whereas with a lighter animal that we're working with, you know, if you have a dog that's anywhere from 20 pounds to 70 pounds, it makes a raised platform a not so inconvenient tool to use that you can 
transport with you easily, especially if they're made of a light material because the animal isn't that heavy. So the the majority of the platforms I use that are like those foam covered with mats platform, I can tuck them under my arm and, you know, walk them over here and put them over here and change the location in about one, you know, one minute. I can change a whole, an entire setup. For a horse, not only their size, but we have the weight issue. So you have this heavy, heavy animal. So now you need a platform that's going to be able to withhold a, a thousand pound animal without crushing it. <laughs> right. so, so I've made a platform for which can hold Robin and Robin is big. He's not as big as a draft horse, but he's a good sized horse. And I've made it out of the very thick insulating foam boards that they put on the outside of houses. And they're what a couple inches thick. You get them from the hardware stores, Lowe's, Home Depot. <clears throat> and then put a thin play mat on top of that and duct taped it like mad. And it's very lightweight. So a mat that is big enough for a horse to stand all four feet <clears throat> is very lightweight. You can pick it up, carry it around, plunk it down wherever you want, and it works really well. So a trip to Lowe's or Home Depot uh, to get the duct tape, the Gorilla Tape, you'll need that, the, the mats and the insulating board, and you've got yourself some platforms. Another and, idea is, you know the grids we use to... Um not have in heavy traffic areas we use some grids so that it doesn't become muddy i've used that and covered it with some because the grids i don't want to just have the horse step on the grid there so i've put um like rubber over it not really rubber it's like a rubber um it's it's very flexible anyway you can put whatever something very uh, light over it so there are ways but I mean, for sure, it's not as easy as a as a dog's platform. But if someone's motivated, I guess we can we can find materials that make it a little bit less heavy. the The easy one is plywood, but that is cumbersome. Right. And so, Michelle, can you maybe for those people who are not very familiar uh, with uh, platform work, can you? Give some examples of behaviors that you teach with this tool. The foundation behaviors that all my new puppies learn first are the foundation positions that I need to be able to cue them to be in. So that would be for freestyle, it's like four basic positions, one on my left side, like in left side heel, one on my right side, like in right side heel, facing me in front, and then behind me, the same, looking like they are in front, but they're actually looking at the back of me. So those four foundation positions, to be able to have each of those on a verbal cue, and then the animal lines up on you in those positions, it enables you to put so many other pieces of behaviors together, but you have control over the location where they're going to happen. So for instance, if, if the dog knows the left side heel cue and how to line up really well precisely at my left side, and they know the right side heel cue, line up precisely, I can spread my legs apart, cue them to do a weave, and they're going to go right into right side heel. They're just using 
between my legs to get there. So that's an example of if I have those foundation skills, all I have to do is lure the dog a few times how to go between my legs, and I have a whole new behavior. Uh, whereas if I didn't have those positions and I just lured them through, they're going to be all over the place once they get to the other side. So you kind of lose the transition effect of smooth from one behavior to the other. So that's the first thing that I basically start because those are actually very hard skills. It takes time to develop the fluency of being in position next to your body, paying attention to the handler and not doing what your body actually tells you to do. And when I say that, I mean, an example would be left side heel for the animal to be and a horse being on your right side normally uh, to be parallel side by side with you and paying attention to you that tells their body to do what it tells their body to put their rear out so they can see you better so they they want to face you of course we have food they want the they want that engagement that they're going to have with us so that those are actually very hard skills the behind position for freestyle is very hard because they can't see us so we're asking them to line up behind us uh straight not anticipating that the food, they've got to come to the front to get the food, things like that. So those skills actually take take a bit of time. That's why I start on them so, so soon. But the other skill that I like is a foundation skill that any, any animal really benefits from, and I'm sure Alex has started this off with her goats with the platform, is how to stay in a space. So in a way, you could say that you're starting impulse control. You have a tool that's allowing you to control the animal's location. And you can introduce something like, I'm holding the food, and I'm actually going to step away from you, but step back and feed you. I can step further away. I can bounce a ball. I can have another animal come in the scene, and yet you stay in your space. So whether you think of it as a formal stay, or you think of it as impulse control, emotional control around things in the environment that make that animal want to react and go see check something out, or maybe they're even worried about something. That platform does such a great job of helping the animal to be correct and stay on the spot. Regardless, it could be a huge platform that they actually have room to turn around on, and you don't care whether they're sitting or downing or standing, but you are telling them to stand on that space of land. That's a really valuable skill for everybody, regardless of what animal they're teaching or how old it is, is the fact is it helps them remain on the spot if they make a mistake. If they leave the platform and all we do is calmly reset them, here's the cool thing about the platform. They know exactly what happened their body knows that their foot left the platform. So they actually understand what happened. Whereas if you have an animal, you're trying to get them to stay on a spot and they walk forward. And that includes off of a mat that's just flat on the ground. They walk forward and then you go reset them and put them back. They really don't have much of an understanding of what happened. But when they are used to 
keep all four on this platform. When one foot leaves, they know it left. And that's an amazing communication tool to the animal. Yeah, I found it incredibly useful with the goats. I've raised now two cohorts of goats. In the first year, I had triplets and twins. So I had five goats plus the two mothers. And the babies were, they're just this bouncing, exuberant creatures. And, and oh, if I hadn't had platforms, I don't know what I would have done. But it was fascinating to see, to teach them all to go to a platform in their little workspace. And they would come running over and each one hop up on a platform. And I could manage and begin to teach the emotional control. The, you will, you're going to stay on your platform while these other four, because it takes a while to go around five baby goats, each gets a treat. And if you uh, jump off your platform and knock your sister off, I'm, I'm just going to ignore that and wait for you to be back on your platform. And what was really interesting was I would watch to see socially where they tended to line up. And then over time, I began to differentially reinforce them for being in a particular order. So they very quickly began to go always to the platform that put them in the same order each and every time, which was really cool. I'm going to guess you get that same response when you're working several horses at Liberty. Yes. So I'm just yes. guessing that you're going to get that they have already a relationship thing and you're going to notice where they do better lined up next to who. Yep. And rather than fight it, rather than saying, well, you, uh, Valerie, you don't really get along well with Felicity, but I need you to stand next to her regardless. And I know that you're going to be scaring her because you're big and you tend to run her off, but I need you two to stay next to one another. Or I can just say, Valerie, you tend to uh, line up next to your sister Verity. And so that's a good spot for you. And then we'll let Verity line up next to Patience because they sort of get along. And we'll let poor little Felicity, who tends to be picked on, she can be over here where she feels a little safer. You're not fighting against the social dynamics that are going on. You're letting them show you where they are the most comfortable in lining up. And then having that platform having a station, a place to go to, makes such a difference when you're working with multiples. Such a difference. If we think of all traditional animal acts, and we're not talking about positive reinforcement training, but how did they survive with lion and tiger acts, et cetera, without platforms, right? Platforms <laughs> at least gave those animals a place to, that they knew that everything was okay if I'm on my platform. And it was, of course, a safety thing. So it's like, you know, I kind of have to give a little bit of credit to the fact that one of the ideas I got way back when I started this platform thing was like seeing a, a, a picture of a, of a lion act and going, well, duh. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. That's right. So just again, for people who have not seen uh, the work, um, let's see if we can try to very uh, briefly summarize how you do let the foundation positions, for instance. So you okay. make the platform really, um, really enticing, really hot, so that the animal, when as soon as you drop that platform 
wants to go all four feet on the platform? And then how do you introduce uh, the positions and how do you put the cue, the verbal cue on the positions with the platform? Okay, the, the first way to start is, and with a horse, this could be a little difficult, but the easiest way to start that I've learned through the years <laughs> is you start with a bigger platform than you really want to teach the position. The size of the platform matters when it comes to the precision you want to teach. So let's say you're envisioning, I want my horse on my right side and parallel, nice and straight. I don't want his, his half facing me. But to start, you're going to set up a situation so that the platform available is plenty big for the horse to get on, plenty big. There, there's like, it, it's probably twice as big as it needs to be if possible, because then you're all, all you're dealing with is the uh, socialization to that piece of equipment. And as soon as they sniff it and they get a click and they get food, they get one foot on, click and they get food, they don't have a difficulty fitting on the platform. So they're not like trying to do an, an old elephant trick with all four feet on this little platform. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to interrupt for a second because we have people listening who have, who knows what background in terms of the foundation lessons that I teach. And I teach horses to go to a mat, to stand on a mat, but it's a doormat size mat initially. So when we're talking, when I'm talking about goats, goats, they're not, they're, they're mountain animals. They're going to hop up on things. They're not going to be too worried. If I put something down on the ground, they're not going to look at it and go, ooh, that might swallow me whole. But with a horse, it's very different. You, the horses are reluctant to step on uh, surfaces that they're not familiar with. So when you put a, a mat, whatever size, doormat or piece of plywood, they're going to be, initially, most horses are going to be looking at it going, ooh, I'm not so sure. So when I start out, and I'm not talking platform training now, I'm talking simply getting, introducing a horse to the idea that the surfaces that you ask him to step on are safe and okay and actually mats are really cool and they're cool places to go to because you get lots of reinforcement. I like to start off with a mat that is about the size of a doormat because I want the horse to have the option of stepping over it, past it. So if he's not quite ready to commit to stepping on the platform or the mat and you walk him up to, to it, that mat is small enough that he can avoid it if he's not ready to step on it. And we have a, you know teaching protocols for introducing the horses to the mat so that you, you build this up sequentially. But if I start out with a big mat, say a big piece of plywood, or people when they're teaching horse, horses to step on plastic, they'll often start off with this big plastic sheet, you know, tarp. And... They're starting out with something that's so big that essentially the horse has to either really jump to avoid it or step on it, but he's not quite ready to step on it. He can't take one long stride and be on the other side of it. So I would be introducing what you're talking about, getting the horse so he's stepping up on all four on a platform. This is after 
Yeah. I have taught him to go to a mat, and he's comfortable stepping up on a mat. He's comfortable stepping up on different kinds of mats, like he'll step up on a piece of plywood, on a rubber mat, on a carpeted mat. And now I'm going to say, oh, and now this mat is raised. A rectangle. It's no longer square. It's for all right. four feet. Yeah, and it's, because yes, people and it's bigger. may not... Yeah, it's bigger, and it's not just the front feet now. We're talking all four on a rectangle. Yeah. yeah. So and, and, I, and obviously the mat would be great prerequisite, for, would, would be great um, preparation for... Right. So for I, I don't know, Michelle, if you, would, if you would feel that that was a necessary step, but that would just be what I would, you know, from that uh, safety always comes first thing, that I would want to insert in the lead up to introducing platforms. Uh, well, I think it's really valid to say that any animal, whether it's a horse or a dog, should already feel sociable to whatever piece of equipment that you're using, right? So horses, right. for sure, are more likely to go, what's that? I don't want to step on it, where dogs mostly would be curious about yes. and wouldn't, yes. wouldn't hesitate to step up on a you know a, a four inch high platform that wouldn't be a scary thing to some dogs it actually would be i've seen some dogs act like a horse <laughs> meaning i have to get i have to jump it what what is that on the floor but there's not many like that so yeah i think what you described is the social aspect that dog trainers are spoiled that they don't often have to go through right? So often right. a dog trainer just gets that automatically from this social animal that's out and about with them so much that you throw this platform on the floor and the, horse, the dog just goes, oh, what's that? Where a horse is going to go, oh, I don't know about that. So you're right. I think initially introducing anything that makes standing on something, and usually I'm picturing you mean front feet on the mat, that's yes. going to get the animal going, I know the this game of getting on this thing. It also is a really good reason with horses to think about your surface that they're going to get on. So the mats, I'm envisioning what you were saying, like a doormat for a, a house. Yeah, they're not going to hear anything as they step on it that's going to prompt them to want to jump off right away. The same with the, the plywood platforms I've seen some horse people put together. I can imagine a young horse taking a very brave first step and going, oh, no, 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 because it makes that noise as their hoof steps on it. So I think that's all the more reason when you're introducing a bigger platform, like what Dominique was describing earlier with what you put on the, on the mud areas and covering that with something uh, like a yoga mat type cover or something, those aren't going to make noises when they step on them. And so that's also going to help that first point. So if, if we can envision that we are talking about an animal that is in no way worried or fearful of standing on what you're presenting in front of them. What we're doing now is teaching them that it's all four feet. So what the raised platform allows us to do is go through the progression of clicking first foot, clicking second foot, 
And the beauty of clicking the first hind foot, which is the third foot on usually, and then the last hind foot, which is the fourth foot, to isolate that information is just wonderful because if you were doing it on a mat, it isn't as clear communication because I don't think they have the physical information of what their foot just did. But when they have to lift a foot to put it on this raised platform, they do. And we have the ability to start having them be quite aware of where they put a hind foot, not just their front feet, but where they're putting a hind foot and that's a real cool moment when you realize the dog's got three feet on or the horse has three feet on and they're thinking, I have a foot off. And they lift that last foot and it strikes the platform. So those are marking sessions that are really, to me, powerful. I, it isn't to me getting so quickly to just getting them on as much as getting them to think about where their feet are. So if I get the animal really thinking about those last two feet, the hind feet, I've already ahead of the game later on when I want to do some sort of hind foot behaviors that actually require them to be thinking about where they're putting their foot. So those can be really cool moments, and yet it's still just your introduction uh, session level where you're trying to get to the point where if you see this platform, get all four feet on. And when you have that with clicker training, you should have it be very joyful, meaning that access to a platform has that animal running towards it to get on it. They can't wait to get on it because that's their platform and they know that they want to get all four feet on. So now you have this skill. I don't put that on a cue. The cue is the availability of a platform. So if I'm having trouble because the dog keeps wanting to get on a platform, it just means that I have to get away from a platform or remove it or put it up against the wall or do something because I want them to automatically, if they get near a platform, they should want to get on it. Yeah, I, lo I love the expression that you have. Uh, you know, you want the dog magnetized to the platform. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And, yeah. So I have, in other words, I'm out of control. So just last night, so my, my, my puppy is a year old now. And just last night, uh, I was working her on a, a new behavior and she was on a, a large set of platforms. So it's just a place for her to stay while she does this behavior. And I decided that I was going to go to nose targeting a target stick as an assist to getting this behavior I'm working on. So I, but I realized, well, I better warm her up a little bit on just nose targeting the target stick, which meant I wanted her off the platform, right? So she was already on this platform and I pulled my target stick out and I was standing maybe three or four feet away from the platform and I presented it and she trotted right up getting off the platform, trotted to the nose target. And as soon as I clicked, she ran back to the platform. And of course I fed her and I'm like, okay, Michelle, get rid of the platform. 
because the the platform was going to make my quote unquote nose targeting warm up more difficult because I had I was standing too close to the platform, and so of course she was going to still default to go back to that platform. So it took me you know thirty seconds to toss a treat, let her go get busy while I picked them up and leaned them on the wall so that I could actually do a nose targeting section. But that's what I want. That, you know, a lot of people go, oh, I want to tell him to get off of it and get, and I go, no, those are your, those are your goal cues. So if the, if the position I'm training, let's say, is to stand in front of me, facing me nice and straight in front of me, when I have the, the animal magnetized to want to get on that platform, I can stand square to that platform and as the animal's approaching it because it's going to get on automatically i don't have to tell it to get on so as the animal's approaching i'm going to say my goal word my word is front so as the animal's walking to go get on that platform automatic automatic cue there it is and it's available they're actually practicing hearing my goal cue because i would bet you a hundred bucks they're going to get on so as they're approaching i can say front which of course means nothing to them at that time, but over repetitions and sessions and repetitions, pretty soon the word front is a word they hear right before they come into that position. So I have the advantage with the platforms of introducing my goal cues really quickly because I would bet they're going to be on the platform. If they're not precise and straight, that means I need a smaller platform because the platform is what I want to cue them the precision. So if four feet are on, they're correct. And that's a mistake a lot of dog trainers make is they may be using a fairly generic size platform and they're working on a position. The dog gets on, but they've got enough room on this platform to be a little crooked. So they want to withhold the click. And I say, you're kind of like defeating the whole purpose of the platform. We want the animal to know four feet on, and I'm correct. The platform is giving me the opportunity to have all these repetitions of this animal finding that position and finding it with precision. I don't have to question whether, well, he isn't straight, so I better not say the word. Oh, I don't know if he's going to be straight. I know he's going to be straight. Because if I have the right size platform for this animal and I am presenting myself in relation to that platform for the goal target I want without the platform, I am creating all these repetitions of them hearing the goal cue and they're, per the, they're perfect. They're straight every time. That's a really valuable tool to have to be able to get that many reps so of, of the goal cue. And then when I go, wow, I'm going to give it a shot this session without the platform. So I quickly pick the platform up, put it off to the side, go right back to where I was and working on that. They actually have heard that cue many, many, many times. So if I have enough reps of history with finding that position, I'm going to have a pretty good chance that they're going to do a reasonable job that I at least can mark. I'm going to lower my criteria when the platform disappears at first, 
but they have a history of experiencing looking at my position and coming into position in relation to my body, which usually for me is lining up on my hips to get, you know, lined up on my body. So the positioning element of getting precision is like a given, but so many people don't kind of take it to the extent of keeping enough repetitions going before they remove the platform. Because probably the most common question I get at seminars I give on platforms right up front is, so when can I get rid of the platform? (laughs) Right. I I wish I had... The various positions you, you, you... You change your position. The dog is always in the same position himself because he's always four feet on the platform. So you will change your position and then cue left side, right side, front or behind and have many, many repetitions of all these different positions so that the dog learns to associate the cue with his body uh, relation to your body relation, to, to your body position rather. Exactly. So one of the weaknesses I see people when they're trying to do this is that they are moving to the platform while the dog's moving to the platform. So the dog is practicing getting on the platform, but they're not practicing it in relation to the handler's body. So as soon as I have this dog mounting a platform really smoothly and automatically. It's my job to make those repetitions more valuable so that as they're approaching the platform, let's say I toss a treat and they go off and get it, I have my body placed to the platform like I want the goal target. So it's stationary. I am presenting. I'm not presenting a moving target. I actually am presenting their goal target. That is what makes those repetitions of finding. Finding the platform is different than finding the position, if that makes sense. So to the animal, it could just be go find the platform, which is like sending them to a platform. That's fine. But if you want to actually teach a position, you want to make sure the target for them to look for isn't really the platform. They are actually looking at your body is consistently in this position and they're approaching it. And it, from different angles, they're learning how to come into that position. So straight mm-hmm. ahead, for instance, an animal has to walk straight ahead three feet to get on the platform. That's about the easiest way to get on the platform. But as we start having angles that they have to approach you from sharper and sharper angles, they learn how to come in. Let's say it's front. They learn how to come in and pivot themselves into that position because they're not approaching it straight on. So actually precise positioning is one of the hardest skills to teach in general in dog training for precision. And it isn't a quick train, regardless of what tool you use. And this is just, I still have not found something that works better for me than foundation with platforms, just because they learn so quickly how to bounce themselves into that position without us trying to like help them partway through, well, you're not quite there yet. Let me see if I can manipulate my body to help you move. And what that's doing is moving the target. 
while we're trying to help them. So we think we're helping them fix the precision, but we've just moved the target. So for me to be able to keep my body target straight and still for the whole process of them finding it, I'm way ahead of the game than I am trying to find another way to move them into position without moving my body target. It's pretty hard to do that. And they like it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You work with multiple platforms as well? Once the dog has individual positions, so uh, the first thing I do is teach individual one at a time. So I can work them all in one day, but in a session, I'm going to work mostly on a given position. So I'm only using one platform. I may move around the platform and work on the right side heel. I may move around the platform, work on the behind. At one point, you're saying to yourself, this position seems really fluent. Finding it from any angle, I've been able to use my goal cue quite a bit. So I want to wait until I've had the use of that goal cue because the mounts from all these angles has been so smooth. Then I'll go to two platforms and I'll just work on two positions. So let's say it's left side heel, right side heel. And I will help the dog move from one platform to the another with a little bit of a hand gesture or even a food lure for the first, so they can realize that they actually can move from one platform to the other. Usually I start with left side heel, right side heel. But let's say the dog isn't that good yet on right side position and the front position's better, I'll do that. When you use two platforms, you always have to keep in mind that we are implying to the animal that it's just the other platform. So I could go blah, 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 and he moves to the other platform. So I'm not truly teaching discrimination of the verbal cues, but I am getting the animal used to moving from one position to the next. Once I go to three platforms, I definitely am teaching the dog how to listen to the verbal cue that's assigned to which position. And that's kind of the upper level of taking your platform positioning to a place where you know that they discriminate the verbal cues. So they know that the left side heel position is the word heel. And if I say side, that's my right side position cue they'll go there. So they have a choice of three platforms, but you can tell that the dog is discriminating between them. So it, it's funny if I have someone who's in competitive obedience and they're only really going for two positions. They're going for left side heel and they're going for front. So that becomes a challenge for them to really understand, does the dog really understand and respond to the verbal cue or is he just responding because I said a cue and he's just going to go to the other platform. So I always encourage them to go ahead and work on rights of the other side heel just for two reasons. To be able to work on discrimination of the positions and to develop the dog's muscular habit of paying attention and parallel on the other side with dogs in, uh, especially in like competitive obedience and some of the uh, man uh, protection sports, they only do left side heel and they do a lot of it through the years. And the dogs actually get a little 
caca on their development and their neck and how they look up, meaning that it was physically hard for the dog to, on the other side, turn their head and look up at the handler. So the one thing I learned very quickly about the sport of freestyle is the advantage is it develops the animal really equally on, on, on both sides, which so, is a real asset. Yeah. So, so let's talk about freestyle for a little bit because the platform training is a major prep for being able to create some of the freestyle moves. So as you've got your dogs who are beginning to understand the platform work and you are being able, you're beginning to be able to train some of the behaviors that you'll incorporate into freestyle routine. So could you describe maybe, you've already described a little bit of the weave. I'm not teaching my goats to weave between my legs because they have horns. So yes, (laughs) that's one I, I will pass on. And most of us, our horses are too big for that behavior but there are there are other uh certainly there are some other fun things that can certainly where you can make that transition from creating the the core of this behavior using the platforms now i have this behavior now i want to begin to create a longer sequence of behaviors i'm sure you could see this break coming we're about to switch subjects to talk about freestyle So this seems like a great place to stop. And Michelle has certainly given you lots to explore in this discussion of platforms. She has some great DVD lessons on platform training. You can find them at her website, michellepouliot.com. And I'll just add that her DVDs are very clear, very easy to follow. Her dogs are great fun to watch. She does superb video production. And best of all, her way of using platforms produces really great results. As I say, I've been using, directly using her techniques with the goats, and I really like what that's given me. And then I've taken a lot of the ideas and found ways to apply them to my big horses. So that's platform training. And next week, we'll take a plunge into freestyle. And in the meantime, I want to share with you what I've been up to. I've basically been living on the computer the last couple of months. And one of the things that I'm doing is I'm reinventing how I give clinics in this age of corona. Obviously, when all of the travel bans came and we got the, sh- the shutdowns from the virus, all of my spring clinics had to be canceled. So that was a big disappointment. And um, the question is, has been, what are we going to do about the clinics? And in May, thanks to Rebecca Schultz, who organized the North Carolina clinic for me, we experimented with a virtual clinic. And I have to say, I was absolutely delighted by the results. I, and, I, and I was surprised, really, at how well they went, because sometimes the technology can let you down. But in this case, it didn't. Zoom worked wonderfully. We were able to do everything that we wanted to do. It was great. And it was a real clinic. 
there are things that I value in my clinics that I've deliberately designed my clinics so that we get a real community, a real interactions going through the weekend. I've always kept the group size small so that we can really get to know one another. I don't want people just spending the three days watching one lesson after another without feeling as though they can, can have any input into what they're seeing. So the clinics have always been set up so that people are involved in the process. And you can certainly tell from these podcasts that I love discussions. I love a back and forth discussion about training. And it's so valuable. It's not just that it gives you a different perspective, which it does. It's that each time you talk about a familiar subject with somebody new, or you work with an exercise that you thought you knew with a horse you don't, there's a possibility of seeing connections that you were missing. And sometimes what you get is a real aha moment, and I love those. And sometimes what you get is a duh moment, uh, as in, how could I have missed that? And that's okay too. And, and that's what I value in the clinics. I love the fact that for me, clinics are really a laboratory. They're a place where there's, where we're all experimenting and learning and exploring. And for me, this new format, using the computer to get together, it worked. We had so many aha moments for all of us. And it really did feel like a real clinic. It was a real clinic. And so I'm going to give more of them. In fact, if the threat of the virus disappeared tomorrow, I would still offer these virtual clinics. It was that valuable an experience. So I'm going to take advantage of what the virus has shown me and, and I'm going to schedule more of these virtual clinics. I've got a couple coming up this summer. In fact, what I've developed is a series for these clinics. You can read about them on my website, theclickercenter.com. Look under the events tab and you'll see a listing for them. You'll see the listing for stay-at-home clinics. And I needed to come up with a name for them, so here it is. Uh, I'm calling them Learning Together, a constructional approach to training. Learning Together because that's what we do. You can always learn on your own. I have the books, I have the DVDs, the online course, the blog posts, this podcast. These are great resources. But sometimes it's fun to get together with other people. And it's good to spend time with people who understand your love of animals and who share your passion for positive reinforcement training. It's good to see what others are doing. You learn from their questions, I certainly do. You learn from their animals, I know I do. And given the news about the coronavirus, it may be a while before any of us feel comfortable traveling to clinics. But with this new online format, you don't have to. We can learn together as we invent together this new way of teaching.
So the other part of the title is the constructional approach to training. I want to be a constructional trainer. That means I am process oriented, not goal driven. I look at a complex end goal and I consider what all the component pieces are that I could teach separately that will make the final goal much easier to reach. So in constructional training, I learn how to set up the environment for success. I learn how to train in clean loops so errors are minimized. This is a structure that I can apply throughout my training. So I want to consider what do I want to teach? But then the question becomes, how do I structure my lessons so they can be taught easily through this constructional approach? And in each of the clinics that I'm going to be giving, each of these stay-at-home clinics, we're going to be exploring the constructional approach to training. And these are stay-at-home clinics. You don't have to travel any further than your computer. That's the beauty of this format. You get to stay at home, and so does your horse. You get the best of both worlds. You get to be away from home without being away from home. You get to visit with other clicker trainers. You get to have a lesson with me, with your horse, but you're doing it in the comfort of his familiar surroundings, and none of us have to travel. So to find out more about these clinics, go to my website, uh, theclickercenter.com to check out the schedule. The first one is going to be July 10 through 12 and the title we're giving it is Constructional Training What and Why and there's a description of it in my website of what we'll be covering. This one I will say is especially for West Coasters. It's taking the place of the July California Clinic which um, we decided we we really weren't comfortable traveling. None of us were tra comfortable traveling to get to. So we're going to hold this stay-at-home clinic instead. And that means that we'll be setting it up for the Pacific time zone. In July 17 through 19, I'll be back in the Eastern time zone for a stay-at-home clinic on rope handling. Yes, we're going to have a virtual clinic on rope handling. It's going to be a lot of fun. And I'm going to be joined for that one by Rebecca Schultz, who's not only helping me to organize the clinic, but who will also be teaching some segments on classical Pilates. Because the group size is small, my plan will be to repeat these clinics throughout the summer and fall. And I'm going to be setting them up for different time zones. You can check out my website to see the other dates and topics. And now that geography has been taken off the table, I hope you'll join me at one of these stay-at-home events. So thank you for listening. And next week, we'll bring you part two of our conversation with Michelle.